0: Hello and welcome to the Medico Lifestyle Study Medicine Podcast.
1: My name is Dr Jonas Hayes, I'm a foundation doctor.
0: And my name is Emily Kelly and I'm a graduate entry medical student.
1: Our weekly podcast aims to tackle tough medical topics in 30 minutes. Welcome to our first ever episode of our Study Medicine Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing everything you need to know about pulmonary embolism. We're going to be covering all the relevant aspects including the anatomy, physiology and pharmacology. And we're going to be taking on the classic roles of doctor and medical student. I'm going to be asking most of the questions as I've been reading up on the topic.
0: And I'm going to be doing my best to answer them, apparently. Um, We've also put together a PDF which summarises everything that we're going to talk about on this episode into um, a handy note format, which you can download on our website, www.medicalifestyle.com. Right, let's get started then.
1: So our case today is that of a 54-year-old woman who presents to A&E complaining of shortness of breath and chest pain that's worse on inspiration. She's got a past medical history of hypertension and a recent tibial fracture for which she's had an operation. Okay. Okay. Any other information you want at this point?
0: Um, well, so she's presenting to A&E shortness of breath and chest pain that's worse when she breathes in. And what did you say? She had a past medical history of hypertension and she's just had surgery for a leg fracture. Yeah, recently. Okay. Obviously, I would want to take a full history from this patient.
1: Yeah.
0: And ask if she had any other associated symptoms. How long was been going on for? Has she ever had anything like this before? Um, Yeah,
1: so what are the kind of key differentials that you're thinking of when you're thinking about this lady with her shortness of breath and her chest pain?
0: Well, I think... Chest pain, you have to rule out cardiac chest pain um, straight away. So I'd ask her all the questions that we're taught to ask about cardiac chest pain.
1: Okay, so what are the kind of key features of cardiac chest pain that you'd think of? Oh,
0: like the the central crushing chest pain radiating down the arm or into the jaw, Mm -hmm. um, pale, sweaty yes yeah, so she, she does, came on suddenly
1: Yeah, so she doesn't look like that at all actually she's she describes the pain literally as um it feels like she's catching her when she's breathing in um so as I say worse on inspiration so is there a do you know a name for that uh
0: yeah uh, so pain that's worse when you breathe in is pleuritic chest pain
1: yeah absolutely um and yeah so we said that pleuritic chest pain shortness of breath any other differentials
0: the only other thing I can really think of would be like a pneumonia. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that causes shortness of breath, pain, on inspiration.
1: Yeah, it can do, certainly. Um, certainly if someone's got a uh, really bad pneumonia, they can get uh, what we used to call pleurisy. Mm-hmm. So inflammation of the pleura uh, from that area of pneumonia. And again, that will give you pleuritic chest pain. Um, but our lady, she doesn't have a temperature.
0: Um, Makes an infection maybe less likely, yeah, I suppose.
1: She's, she's not really been feeling unwell. She's been feeling a bit annoyed that she's been sitting around a lot with her broken leg. Ah, mm.
0: sitting around for a really long time maybe.
1: Yeah, quite a lot of immobilisation.
0: I suppose then my other main differential, which is the headline of today, yeah. is a pulmonary embolism or a PE.
1: Absolutely. Um, so if we talk about a few of the kind of uh, main presenting symptoms and signs that people can have, Okay. Um, when they have a PE. Um, so we've mentioned already uh, dyspnea or shortness of breath. Mm-hmm. Um, we said pleuritic chest pain. Yep. Uh, so that worsens from breathing in. Any other signs?
0: Um, I'm pretty sure people with PE can cough up blood.
1: They can. That's
0: hemoptysis. Yep, hemoptysis. And um, they're probably quite likely to have tachycardia.
1: Certainly. Tachycardia is a very common sign. Anything else?
0: Mm, hypoxia.
1: Yeah, hypoxia, low oxygen saturations are their main problem. So the presentation of PE can really vary from quite mild, so a little bit of hypoxia, a bit of short spread, right up to, you know, presenting with collapse, essentially, Mm. um, and having a very unstable blood pressure and things like that.
0: Can cause cardiac arrest eventually
1: absolutely right. so so PE is one of those things that can cause cardiac arrest in fact it's one of the uh, reversible causes of cardiac arrest mm. uh, that um, we'll probably do another podcast on cardiac arrest I think
0: yeah I think there'll be lots more things we're gonna figure out we want to do a podcast from from today <laughs>
1: absolutely great <laughs> more okay.
0: questions and answers isn't
1: it? So, yeah. <laughs> hopefully some answers too yes um okay so if we talk about then and uh, we say yes, this lady does have a pulmonary embolism,
0: or we think she does,
1: or we think she does anyway. We think she how does. would we um, define a pulmonary embolism?
0: Oh right, let take it right back then. Shall yeah. We? So what what is a pulmonary embolism? Absolutely. Um, if somebody was to ask me, as mm-hmm. you just did, um, what a pulmonary embolism is, um. I would first freak out because I'm a medical student and a doctor was asking me a question. And then I would gain my composure and I would say that pulmonary embolism is a embolism, which is a blood clot, Mm -hmm. in pulmonary vasculature.
1: Okay, good. Yeah, you're hitting some buttons there, certainly. Um, So you said blood clot, uh, and it can be a blood clot, certainly the most common, um, but it's any kind of obstruction in the pulmonary arterial vasculature. So it can be blood clot, it can mm-hmm. be air bubble, oh. it can be fat.
0: Mm. Uh, or fat can, embolus, oh yeah, embolus, doesn't yeah. necessarily,
1: oh yeah. Uh, or it could be amniotic fluid even. Really? Yeah. It's a bit um, scary. So we said uh, in the pulmonary arterial vasculature, mm-hmm. so does that kind of throw up any alarm bells, arterial venous vasculature in the lungs?
0: Well, I'm going to be honest, I, I don't know whether I'm the only medical student in the world that has this problem, but the pulmonary arteries and pulmonary veins being the other way around to arteries and veins in the rest of the body as to which ones are oxygenated and deoxygenated is still a problem for me.
1: Yep.
0: I'm, I'm working through my issues about it, cool. but it's still a problem for me. Okay. So is we're it... saying that it's going to be the pulmonary arteries that are going to get these blood clots.
1: Absolutely. Am I right?
0: Absolutely. Oh, yes.
1: And where do they come from? So in the case of blood clots um, that come into the lungs, where have they come from initially?
0: Um, a vein somewhere. Like, So PE often comes from a deep vein thrombosis, a DVT.
1: Yeah, DVT, PE, they're both types of what we call venous thromboemblos.
0: VTE. Um,
1: yeah, VTE. VTE. Yeah. Um, so if we run through that then, so you can have a clot that might start in a peripheral vein like your calves, uh, or it can happen in a pelvic vein as well. Mm. That will then work its way back, uh, or pieces of that might break off and work their way back into the inferior vena cava. So that's that, the main vein. It mm-hmm. uh, goes up, back up to the heart, into the right atria, right ventricle, and out through the left and right pulmonary artery then yep, um, into the lungs.
0: Okay, and it gets in the pulmonary artery system. Yep. Which means that...
1: It's blocking blood from the heart to the lungs, essentially.
0: So the blood can't get to the lungs to become oxygenated. Absolutely. Okay. So
1: it can't then get back to the heart as nice oxygenated blood. To go oh.
0: to elsewhere, everywhere else. It needs Absolutely.
1: To be. And that, Got it. that's how we get hypoxia mm-hmm. um, as that kind of principal symptom mm-hmm. uh, or principal issue.
0: And it can get pain. stuck anywhere in that pulmonary arterial system, right? Yeah. So further down in smaller arteries or right up. Where it breaks into the left and right so that can cause a lot more different issues
1: yeah so that can be called uh something that's it's called a saddle embolus where it oh, yeah. co- sort of sits across both the left and right main pulmonary artery i assume that's so,
0: maybe a bad yeah
1: battle. bad badness okay okay, okay. so when we're talking about pe is it a problem with uh perfusion or is it a problem with ventilation for the lungs that cause the hypoxia
0: ventilation we just mean breathing, like uh, air going in, right? Yeah. Air and oxygen and all that. So no, that uh, you not you don't have a problem with breathing.
1: No. So you don't have any problem with ventilation, uh, but you do have a problem with perfusion, don't you? Yes. So this is where you get uh, what we call VQ mismatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a concept uh, that you might remember from some lecture way back when. Uh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I'll run over that quickly then. So VQ mismatch, as yep. we said, no problem with the ventilation. Yeah. Um, the gas exchange is fine. Yeah. But... Uh, in the in the lung itself, the alveoli are okay. The gas is moving in and out. Mm-hmm. But the problem we've got is with um, our perfusion. So the blood that's coming into the lungs, the deoxygenated blood, is getting blocked by these clots. Yep. And therefore, it can't take up the oxygen
0: mm-hmm.
1: and move back uh, through the uh, pulmonary veins back into the heart.
0: Hence the mismatch. You're ventilating Absolutely. well, but you're perfusing poorly.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And some
0: parts of the lungs are going to be perfusing better than others, depending on where the clot is. So you get a mismatch. Here 100%. I am waving my arms around, realizing nobody can nobody see Nobody can
1: see the waving, but, um, <laughs> but it's very effective uh, for me. Mismatch. Yes, there's, there's definitely a mismatch. OK. Cool. OK, so... Q
0: being what stands for perfusion? Yeah,
1: so Q stands for fusion, because um, in equations, uh, Q also stands for flow, and it's flow of blood. So that's the perfusion. Is this
0: your A-level physics talking?
1: Ah, yes. Uh, part of that. But um, you'll see when we, we talk about other concepts in uh, cardiovascular physiology and stuff, we use Q. Oh, uh,
0: cool.
1: Cool. Okay. So the other kind of topic that we like to talk about here is the oxygen dissociation curve. That's another one of those topics. It's going right from back way there. Back to, when. Yeah, from way back when, maybe like first year lectures and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's another thing where you, uh, if you can remember, you've got um, partial pressures of oxygen on one side of your yep. axis and the saturation of your hemoglobin on the other. Um, and then it draws a nice S shaped curve mm-hmm. whereby it's difficult to take up oxygen at the beginning, the hemoglobin, and then it's nice and easy in the middle, and then it's a bit harder. So the problem with PE here is that you've got blood that um, it, blood that's nicely getting to those oxygen, well-oxygenated parts. It's passing through easily, so the parts that aren't blocked by clots.
0: Yeah, so you're ventilating, you're, you're perfusing part of it
1: yeah. really well. and they'll be at the sort of really saturated part. Mm-hmm. But then other parts will not be well-saturated at all, and that blood will either be sort of trickling back or being blocked from... From coming back yeah um, and so essentially you end up somewhere in the middle and if you remember that graph you can see that somewhere in the middle is actually very low down as the, mm. the kind of the saturation curve really drops off
0: yeah so it's really the mixing between that blood that gets the oxygen and the blood that doesn't that pushes you into being really hypoxic
1: yeah absolutely
0: okay. cool Okay,
1: so we've talked a bit about her history and examination. Yeah. So some of the signs, so we we haven't examined yet. So do you want to run us through? Can you think of any other kind of signs on examination you might see in someone who's got a PE?
0: Um, Well, you'd you'd do a cardiovascular and respiratory examination.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, You wouldn't, it's an acute onset problem. So you're not going to see any chronic signs of cardiovascular disease or respiratory disease. Mm Unless they have any other underlying things, but she doesn't in this case. Yeah, um, you'd take her respiratory rate and her mm-hmm. observations, and you we said that she's got a high respiratory rate. Yeah. Other than that.
1: Yeah, so she's <sighs> she's also tachycardic, oh. um, so. In the acutely unwell patient, you might take a slightly different approach, might you, rather than just sort of starting with your history. and Yeah. For, if she's really unwell, what kind of approach do you take? You, to start then with?
0: you do your A to E approach.
1: Yeah. And part of that E is then exposure, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So looking all around the patient. So when we're thinking about PEs, we said they can come from DVTs. Yeah. Where else might we be looking So there?
0: you'd want to look at
1: her legs. 100%. Yes. Yeah. So you look at her legs and you're looking for any signs of DVT. So mm-hmm. they are things like, is it hot, swollen? Um, is it really the
0: calf? Yeah, calves right? are
1: they painful? Absolutely, and so you might be able to see those signs, and that would again give you another tick and make you think of it. Okay, so on then, if we talk about parts of her history, how do they feed in to p- making this lady at risk for developing a clot?
0: So, I think what you're trying to get me to talk about here is one of these lovely. What was it? Triangle? Triad.
1: It's a triad, yeah. Triad. We love a good triad.
0: Because triads are everywhere in medical school for some reason. Yep. Triangles abound. Yep. So the one that we're going to talk about is Verkau's triad, I'm pretty sure. Absolutely. So there's three things because it's a triad. And she's got the stasis part because she's had surgery. And she's probably pretty immobile if she's got a broken leg. Hundred um, percent. The next part is hypercoagulability, mm-hmm. and I can't think of why she would have that.
1: Yeah. So other factors in there are things like um, cancer, infection, hormone replacement therapy, the combined oral contraceptive it's, pill. We haven't,
0: we haven't discussed whether she's on hormone replacement therapy. She's no. fifty-four. She may be. It's Possible.
1: She's got a bit of hypertension, so she let's say she's on an antihypertensive for that, but nothing that's affecting her coagulation then. Okay. Um The other things that can cause you to be hypercoagulable are things like pregnancy, being up to six weeks postpartum, and having any other kind of genetic or uh, acquired problems with clotting disorders like thrombophilias. Okay.
0: okay.
1: Uh, what's the other part of the triangle then?
0: Oh, uh, the one I always forget. So stasis, hypercoagulability, and damage damage
1: endothelial injury
0: that's the one yeah. endothelial injury so i mean she's had some surgery to her leg she has could that damage her
1: yeah so trauma surgery um and also having a prior, any prior history of venous thromboembolism embolism mm-hmm. um can fall into that vt uh, endothelial injury and we're part. talking about
0: this as in risk factors for a venous clot
1: absolutely right because
0: yeah. arterial clots is similar yeah so similar it, risks
1: the cast triad um, really applies to clotting anywhere so it can apply to arterial clots venous clots um, you know any of those kind of things
0: so then in that case then her obviously we're talking about this as a venous clot mm-hmm. because we're talking about PE mm-hmm. but her history of hypertension mm-hmm. could also fit into this triad for increasing her risk for arterial clots
1: absolutely well. like an MI hmm. okay Interesting. So some of those things, some of those features in her history, some of her signs and these risk factors feed into a uh, quite a well-known scoring system mm-hmm. um, for PE. Do you yeah. know what that one's called? Um,
0: this is the Wells score.
1: Yeah, so her Wells score. So there's loads of different uh, things that feed into her Wells score. Sort of, um, and there's points assigned for each one. Mm-hmm. It kind of tells you how likely it is that someone that's presented in a hospital has a PE. Okay. Um, the big hitters here are the ones that show, are there clinical signs of a DVT? Yeah. So have you identified this? So that's the leg, swelling, like? pain.
0: And All those redness. things. Redness, yep. um,
1: And the other one, the big point scorer are, is an alternative diagnosis less likely than a PE?
0: That basically just means, do you think it's a PE? Yeah. Doctor.
1: It's a little bit of a cop-out <laughs> in, that, in that that way. Um, but, you know, it's a... Makes a doctor use his own brain. It's a well-used scoring system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's obviously been validated Mm -hmm. um, through quite a lot of studies. And it includes
0: some of the things that are in Verkau's triad, like uh, malignancy or immobilisation.
1: Yeah. Recent surgery, immobilisation, and that prior history of PE or DVT.
0: And if they score high enough, then you go, "Mm, yeah, likely.
1: Yeah. Uh, So is it um, four or above? That's kind of our cut-off score, where we're really going to think it's likely that she's got a PE and we're going to investigate much further. Okay,
0: so we've... This Woman's come in, yep. We've chatted to her, yep. She's unwell, yeah. We've done an A to E, we've taken her history, we've thought about her risk factors, and we've done her a well score, yes. And we've gone, I assume, in this case, we go, ah, yes, mm. she's got a score more than four. Let's think that she might have a PE,
1: absolutely. So, there's all kind of various investigations that we're going to go through to uh figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, how to help her. So, if we just break down the investigations generally for PE into kind of the things you do at the bedside, the blood tests, and then the imaging tests. Yeah. Um, any kind of bedside tests past our examination, taking out oxygen saturations and things like that. What kind of bedside tests are we can do?
0: Well, um, you said she's um, got low oxygen saturations. Yep. So, I'd probably do a arterial blood gas. Yep. Bl- arterial blood gas. Arterial blood gas. <laughs> yes. ABG. What's, what's it going to show? Um, her ABG would most likely show a low PaO2, so low levels of oxygen. Mm-hmm. And I th- she's got a high respiratory rate. She does. So I would say that her PaCO2 is going to be lower than you'd like.
1: Absolutely, do that hyperventilation. Yes. Okay, next bedside test.
0: Um, ECG.
1: Yeah, ECG. What signs are you going to see on ECG?
0: gonna say that uh, i mean it's not something that we get talked about in our ecg lectures okay do you know what i mean it's not like here's here are all the ecgs we're gonna go through let's okay. talk about PE.
1: are you trying to get out of uh, giving us an answer there or i'm
0: gonna say that the ecg is gonna be unremarkable.
1: Could be pretty unremarkable. But you would
0: see her tachycardia.
1: Yes. So sinus tachycardia is most common. Uh, So normal rhythm, uh, just with a fast heart rate. You can see things like right ventricular strain. So Mm -hmm. um, those would be indicated by some inverted T waves in some of the chest leads, the V1 to V4. So it's front chest leads. Um, And there is a kind of pattern mnemonic um, S1, Q3, T3. Um, which is a kind of a a tricky sign to see on an ECG. Um, And in fact, it's quite uncommon. That sounds Um, like
0: one of those exam things you'll never see in real life.
1: I'm afraid it kind of is one of those. S1, Uh,
0: Q3, T3. Yeah,
1: it sounds good, good, but rarely seen. Um, So yeah, sinus tachycardia is the most common thing you're going to see. Um, Why might we have right ventricular strain though? Mm, I
0: suppose if there's a clot in the pulmonary artery is going out mm-hmm. of the heart to the lungs, then the right side of the heart is going to have to work harder to get the blood past the blockage.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you might see that, that hard work in ECG. Hmm. Okay, uh, blood tests?
0: Um, I'm going to go with the fact that everybody gets the same blood tests in A&E.
1: Mm-hmm. So, FBC, use knees, clotting screen. Uh, any other specific tests that we do in blood?
0: Um. I guess the clotting screen, as you said, is important because she might have a clotting problem that's Absolute. given her PE. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that everybody talks about, which I find really quite confusing, is this D-dimer test. It's like, yeah, do a D-dimer, D-dimer. It's definitely something I've, like, said as an answer in a lecture, and everyone's going, yeah, 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 and I don't know what it means.
1: Cool. Okay, so to spare you from any future embarrassment, D-dimer is actually a small breakdown product of fibrin, which is the which is part of a clot. And it's helpful, it's really helpful in ruling out thrombosis. So you might use it if your well score is sort of teetering on the edge of four or below. Um, it's got high sensitivity but low specificity, um, which is one of those things that people like to talk about all the time. And can you explain what something being highly sensitive and lowly specific means?
0: So if it's highly sensitive, yep. then it's going to be. Every, anyone who has a PE or a DVT is pretty much always going to have a high D-dimer. Yep. However, if it's not specific, yep. we're saying that there's other things that can cause you to have a high D-dimer.
1: Absolutely. So
0: just because you have a high D-dimer doesn't mean you have a PE. But if you have a PE, you're very highly likely to have a high D-dimer.
1: Yeah, and that's why it makes it a good ruling out thing.
0: But you okay. can't rule it in.
1: No. You can't say that it's... It's P or D V T for sure, just because you've got a raised D dimer. Okay. Could be something like infection or cancer. It can cause so a D-dimer. You need raised to be D-dimer
0: a bit well. cautious when thinking Absolutely. about the D dimer.
1: Okay, but it might prompt you to do some imaging investigations. Yep. So if you've got a positive D dimer and a bit of a positive history, you might go on to some imaging. So mm-hmm. what imaging investigations are we gonna see?
0: Well, everybody in A and E gets a chest x ray.
1: They do? What are you gonna see on a chest x ray in PE?
0: Um oh, I know this. You don't see anything. Unless it's like an old PE or it's like been going on for a long time, and then there's like wedge shape infarcts that they like go on about in chest X-ray lectures. Yeah, are like a later development because it's the it's ischemia from where the the, the blood hasn't been getting getting to the right place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, as you say, mostly normal. So, uh, what other kind of imaging do we do then?
0: Um, the best investigation for PE, I'm pretty sure, is a CT pulmonary angiogram.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So inject some dye at the same time as taking a CT yep. um, and see where any kind of what they call filling deficits are. So any points where there's problems with that contrast filling in the pulmonary vasculature. Yep. And you can see, if you look at our PDF slide, we've got a nice image of um, a CTPA where you can see this sort of dark, um, mustache-shaped area across uh, oh. the pulmonary arteries, yeah. um, which is where your contrast is not filling. So that's mm-hmm. that filling defect. Um, but it can also be smaller dark uh, splodges Sort of a uh, is very technical. Radio- radiographer <laughs> word. There. Yeah, I'm
0: sure radiographer <laughs> would love that splodges Yeah,
1: nice, nice dark splodges. Um <laughs> But they are um, further into the um, smaller vessels. Don't wanna
0: be a radiologist.
1: <laughs> you can tell that, right? Okay. Um, so CTPA, there's one other kind of I- oh, imaging investigation. If they
0: don't wanna subject you to the contrast because you're pregnant or you have renal impairment, yeah. do you do a VQ scan?
1: Yeah, so you can do a VQ scan, that's like a nuclear medicine scan uh, involving breathing in some radioactive isotopes and things. But apparently is less um, okay. exposure. So anyway, those are the tests, investigations. The tests. Yeah, so we've 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 had this lady, we've c- what a well score. Uh, we've done some imaging, done a CTPA, and we said, "Yeah, she's she's definitely got a."
0: We saw her. She's
1: got a PE. PE. We've seen that PE.
0: Or the radiologist?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the CTPA. Or they did, and we've read the beautiful report that said, uh, "Yes, this lady has you a PE." Were right, doctor. Well done. PE. Good job. So okay. management then. So what's our initial management going to be?
0: Um, once we once we know we have she has a PE, is that what you're saying? Well,
1: what about right at the beginning?
0: Oh, okay. So she comes in Yeah. and she's short of breath. You're going to do an A to E approach.
1: Great. A to E approach. Um, so in this case, she's pretty stable. And we said she's pretty hemodynamically stable. Hmm. Uh, are you happy with that kind of word? It gets banded around quite a lot.
0: It's something that is said often and very rarely explained. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so she's so hemodynamically stable. So she's got a, a relatively normal blood pressure. So she's got a systolic uh, certainly above 90 or that's not dropped by 40 mm-hmm. millimetres of mercury um, yeah. significantly while she's been here. Um, and, um, you know, she's got a, a her heart rate might be she might be tachycardic, but it's um, not massively high or massively low. So in those kind of rays, she's maintaining a, a reasonable blood pressure, okay. which she could not be. Uh, in the case of PE. Yeah. Um, and so our, our management kind of is falling down those two tracks of you look at her and you're going to work out is she stable hemodynamically or not.
0: It's basically about if she's maintaining her own vital signs.
1: Yeah, yeah, like absolutely. her blood
0: pressure and her heart rate. Yeah,
1: okay. yeah. So if the PE is not causing such significant strain that it's compromising her.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: Okay. So if she's hem- hemodynamically stable, what are the options we're going to treat her with?
0: Um, I'm assuming if you are going to want to get rid of a cot somehow.
1: You are. So anticoagulation is kind of the mainstay of treatment for PEs. Yeah. Um, and that anticoagulation is going to have to go on for quite a long time. Hmm. It's going to have to go on for about three months, at least in wow, the initial really? phase. Yeah. Um, so any ideas of any drugs that we might use?
0: Um, I'm going to say that this is not a strong topic of mine, but I'm going to go <laughs> with some kind of heparin.
1: Yes. So uh, there are two kind of options. Um, low molecular weight heparin, so uh, drugs like dalteparin or mm-hmm. are, uh could be the first thing you go for. And yeah. they tend to be subcutaneous injections. Yeah. Um, so you can either you can start them uh, and at the same time, you can start something like warfarin, um, which is a drug you've heard for, of before, I hope.
0: Oh, yeah, I definitely heard
1: of it, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, so that's another drug that you could start at the same time. Um, Or the other option is you can straight away go for something called a DOAC. Oh, yeah,
0: Do you remember
1: what a DOAC stands for?
0: Direct um, oral anticoagulant?
1: Yes. Uh, Also was called a NOAC, so a novel oral anticoagulant, but... Not so novel anymore. Not not so novel anymore, so now they're DOACs. (laughs) Cool. Um, and they, you can start straight away. So they're things like Riveroxaban, Apixaban. Um, so the key with those, uh, if you're thinking about uh, how they work, uh, is that they've kind of got it in the name. So XA. Uh, the Riverox Aban or Aban. You're not talking urban. about
0: clotting cascade now, are you? Ah, yes. Oh. I'm afraid
1: we've we have stumbled. <laughs> you upon have descended into we've, the clotting
0: cascade. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah,
1: we've stumbled upon the clotting cascade, <laughs> oh, which you dear. kind of have to know.
0: That's that's a yep. difficult situation. Well, you have for to me. know
1: about it when it comes to the anticoagulation.
0: So we've said they're hemodynamically stable. Yep. And we can either give them low molecular weight heparin with vitamin K antagonist warfarin. Yep. Or we could start the mono mm. Okay. Yep. And then we need to know whereabouts these things work on the Clotting Cascade. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going to get up our PDF from our website and look at this because... Yes.
1: There is a pretty picture. There's um, lots of arrows.
0: <laughs> so I, I think, uh,
1: you know, yes, when you first look at these things, uh, Clotting Cascade, it looks really scary, but it's not so scary. Yeah. Um, basically, the clotting factors... Um, mm-hmm go down in numbers from sort of 12 down, um, and as they get activated, they they form sort of their 12A or 11A, et cetera, et cetera. so it's like A's
0: for activated. Yeah.
1: Okay. And then that activates the next one. Um, So that's why it comes Hence the cascade. Hence (laughs) the cascade, like a little sort of domino effect of clotting factors. Uh, It's got these two pathways, like an extrinsic and an intrinsic pathway. Mm -hmm. Again, if you're looking at the picture, it's going to help you. Um, but what you need to know is that the intrinsic pathway is for kind of more clotting uh, due to damage inside, and extrinsic if you've got a, sort of a breakage of the endothelium, um, then you'll have things like tissue factor, which will that's uh, like the blood damaged. will get exposed to. Yeah, it's
0: damaged. Okay, yeah absolutely.
1: Yeah. And then you'll get that kind of clotting there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of both comes down to this thing, factor Xa, so factor ten a. Um, and we talked about rivaroxaban and apixaban being direct inhibitors of that.
0: Ah, because of the X-apixaban and it's 10A, X. Yes. It. That helps.
1: Yes. So the heparins as well, the low molecular weight heparins like dalteparin and anoxapyrin, they can also inhibit factor XA, so factor 10A, and they can also inhibit thrombin, which is factor 2A. Okay.
0: And so it's the... We start to get to this prothrombin, thrombin, yeah, fibrinogen, fibrin. Yep,
1: yeah. that's the key part to remember. Then, and that gets the clot. Yeah, that, that's the, what makes. The the prothrombin, clot. thrombin, fibrinogen to fibrin, and fibrin is uh, the thing that makes that fibrin matrix. Um, and then it's the
0: plasmin that breaks it down.
1: Yeah, so that's the other half of it then is that although we have clotting that can happen all the time, it's kind of this sort of yin and yang thing where um, the plasmin, the plasmin gin to plasmin kind of breaks it down, the fibrin So at the, same the time.
0: 10A is what we're inhibiting with the rivaroxaban and the apixaban, yep. and that is what converts prothrombin to thrombin. Yep. So if you inhibit that, yep. then you can't do that. So you can't make a fibrin clot, Yes, is the idea.
1: Yes. Um, and heparin in the same kind of way, so factor ten A and thrombin as well. Um, warfarin, so is a vitamin K antagonist. So, oh, makes sense to you
0: because you need vitamin K, yep, to make some of these clotting factors in the liver.
1: Yeah, so they are. So lots of these clotting factors are dependent upon vitamin K to be made. So, factor nine, ten. Prothrombin, which is 2, and 7 also are all vitamin K-dependent um, crossing factors. So, great. So those are sort of, if you think about it, indirectly being inhibited. Yep. But, um, I mean, the reason why we don't start people on warfarin straight away and just say, you know, great, that's it, just start them on warfarin, why do we need that heparin to start with? Any because ideas?
0: Because they've already got the... The clotting things that are made by the vitamin K. Yeah,
1: they've already got the clotting factors already. That's what I was saying. So yeah, (laughs) so you 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 already need some um, you need some heparins to uh, kind of. It's more immediate. Yeah, they'll work immediately. Okay. But your uh, your warfarin's going to take time, so that's why we say it's like a bridge to warfarin. So
0: that's what we can do for someone who's hemodynamically stable. So someone who's walked into A and E and is probably. Talking, but feeling slightly uncomfortable, but has like a good blood pressure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um,
1: what if then they're really hemodynamically unstable?
0: If they're hemodynamically unstable, uh, I think it's probably a bit more of an emergency at this yep. point. So you're going to want to do something a bit more drastic that's going to work faster.
1: Yes. So we're going to go for something a bit more drastic. So we're going to go for throm. We might go for thrombolysis, um, which can be systemic. So that's a drug injected systemically or it can be directed through a catheter to where the clot is. Um, And that's a drug like alteplase. So this is playing on the other part of that uh, sort of clotting diagram that we've got, that uh, it's to do with breaking down the clot itself.
0: Uh, So that works on the plasminogen, plasmin bit at the bottom.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you
0: encourage the breakdown of the clot because you make more plasmin.
1: Yeah. It's a a clot buster. So Wow. You know, I've never
0: understood this before.
1: Oh, there you go. So Ulteplase literally cleaves the plasminogen to plasmin and that plasmin can break down the fibrin and that's how it busts up the clot. Cool. Yeah, very cool. So the other thing, um, the one other thing I'd say about management you might have heard of is things called vena cava filters. Um, So they're maybe a bit more specialist um, Mm. and they're kind of physical... Uh, filters that get put in the inferior vena cava. Oh
0: like a little stenty...
1: kind of like a snatch type thing to yeah. catch any clots um, that might find their find their way up and make their way to the lung. Hmm. Um, we you'd only tend to use them um, temporarily whilst you can't use anticoagulant or permanently if the anticoagulants that you're using fail to prevent any further PEs.
0: But I guess that's a bit more invasive so you would not want to go down that road yeah. unless you had to.
1: Absolutely. So, yay, good stuff. We've we've now uh, diagnosed our lady. We've investigated her appropriately and treated her. She was hemodynamically stable, fortunately. So she's been treated um, with rivaroxaban, one of our DOACs. We started straight away. And you
0: said she's going to have to take that for a little while.
1: She's going to have to take it for a little while, yeah. So after three months, we're going to review her and see um, her how her risk factors are stacking up and whether she needs to stay on that for mm-hmm. longer or whether we can take her off it. But again, that's... Uh, a decision a bit above our pay grade at this point
0: <laughs> definitely above mine
1: yeah absolutely okay Great.
0: well i feel a lot more confident about pe now gotta be honest especially that clotting cascade and understanding where the drugs interact with it it's really not as hard as i thought so thank you for that
1: that's okay it's a it's a it feels like a bit of a scary topic but you know once you we got there get through it yeah we got there good
0: um thank you all for listening to our first ever podcast i definitely learned something so i hope you all did um don't forget to check out the pdf on our website medicolifestyle.com
1: you can also find us on instagram at medico.lifestyle to keep updated about everything we do including our podcast online store and daily updates on our lives in medicine